Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. service with you. Um, I've, I've scrolled over the, the congregation. I've seen many faces of people that we've prayed for this week. It's good to see you. You have been prayed for, and I am so glad that you're here. And um, what an important series that we've talked about in September. Unplugged, unplugged. What a very important series. Today, before we're seated, I'm going to tell you what we're talking about today. And it, the um, lesson is on social media. So uh, before you disconnect or unplug me, <laughs> um, I realized, yes, that, that term is not in the Bible. You're not going to scroll and find social media anywhere in the Bible. But social media is a matter of the heart, and all matters of the heart are very biblical, and they're very important to discuss. And social media hasn't been around for a long time. It's a lot younger than I am. Um, so I know that's a relatively new topic, but it does fit right in place with this series about Unplugged. If you talk about the first, about the Sabbath principle, if you talk about moderation, if you talk about right priorities, you could fit social media right in there with all of those. So before we get started, I want to ask you actually one question. Does anybody remember last month's series, what it was on? Not a trick question. Anybody remember? <laughs> last month our series was on... Good friends was on friendship. And remember last month we all ended on being friends. We were all still friends. So I want to talk to friend to friend. And I want to tell you that studying for this lesson, I actually I went in thinking, I told my husband, I said, how am I going to fit 40 minutes about just social media? That's such just a limited topic. And I have way too much. So it ended up going in the opposite direction. Um, but I will tell you in studying for this lesson, it, it for me personally, it was pretty sobering. It was kind of really challenging for me because I'm a social media user. I'm on social media. But I want to say something to us all. Is you ever, for people, anybody on social media, I know I'm going to say probably majority. Um, have you ever scrolled through and noticed it was pretty obvious that somebody had a post that was pretty obvious directed at somebody? Okay, either it was really vague or it was downright just kind of rude, and you know, uh-oh, okay? Well, that's not going to happen here today. <laughs> um, I, I want you to know right up front that there is nothing that I'm going to say today that is directed at anybody's social media habits, nobody's personal profiles or posting. That is not the intention of my heart. That's not intention of God's word. And so I want you to know that's not going to happen today. So it's not directly pointed at anybody, yet on the other hand, it's for all of us. Christians, all of us alike. Social media users are not social media users. The word of God is the word of God for all of us. And so I want to ask you to pray with me this morning, pray for me this morning. 
And I want you to ask the Lord to just, if we can, just allow him to, to, to search our hearts because it's a matter of the heart and to fill us with his truth. So would you join me this morning? Invite the presence of the Lord. God, I love you today. Lord Jesus, more than anything, God, Lord, I invite your presence in this place. God, I ask you, Jesus, Lord, to search me, God. Lord, know my heart, my motives, God, and intentions, Jesus. Lord, I ask you, God, Lord, this morning, Lord, to be in this place, to speak to us, God. Lord Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to move, God, in a mighty way. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, Lord Jesus, for everybody today, God, that you'd speak, God, your truth to our hearts. Lord, I love you, God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hashtag, you may be seated. <laughs> if I use some terms or some digital lingo that you're not familiar with, or if you have questions about anything in today's lesson, please let me know. I am more than happy to speak to anybody. Um, if you're interested in this subject matter, some may, a lot may not be. Um, I want you to know that a lot of the material that I get is, is from a book, and I want to give you this because I recommend anybody to read this book. It's called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. So if I was to poll the, the congregation this morning, I would probably estimate the majority of people here probably have a smartphone. I left mine out there, um, but... I meant to bring, so you either have a smartphone, yes, or you have a tablet maybe, or a laptop, a computer, some way where you are connected to this online world. Majority of people, I say, would be. And then going one step beyond that is I would probably also guess that the majority of people that own one of those things are probably on and connected to at least one social media platform right? We got Facebook users probably predominantly, I would imagine. Come on, where's my Facebook friends? I know you're out there. <laughs> Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Oh, lost people. Okay, that's new. Look it up. You need to know what your kids are going, what your, that's the most popular with kids right now. Okay, Snapchat. Some, okay. There's a lot more. There's probably over 400 worldwide, and I really don't really want any thing to do with all that, but they're out there. But I say that and ask you that because what I realize is I don't want to lose anybody here. We have a very mixed crowd, and I appreciate that. I love that about our church, is that we are a multi-generational church. I love that. Um, so I know that I'm speaking to some people that probably have no idea maybe even what a smartphone is or what social media is, but I want you to know, I don't want to lose you, and I don't want you to think that, so this does not relate to me, because I promise we're going to talk about some principles that relate to just our life in general. I believe that when Jesus sent out the disciples originally to carry out the gospel to a dying world, that gospel was shared socially. It was word of mouth. And that's going to be the same way for us today, whether we're sharing it in person without a phone or we're connected to 10 different social media sites, we have that ability to spread the word. It's for everybody. And there's, I also want to mention this. There's, there's an aspect of this online craze today that bothers me, and that's the absence of our elders. I don't know if anybody notices this, but statistics show that our elders are less likely to own a smartphone, and, low, and they're less likely to be on social media. 
And to me, that makes it almost like this online world just kind of makes a very important generation just kind of disappear. And there's a tragedy to me because if we lose them, we're losing such vast wisdom. There's so much that they have that we need. And so I want to basically, I'm not just telling you mature saints that I love very much. You just go out there and open up a social media account for us. I mean, if you want to, that's fine. But if you don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to admonish you to do that. But I do want to admonish us, the ones that do have it and that do recognize that absence, is to let us know that they're important and that when we're so distracted by our online life where they're not present, we need to cherish in real life their presence in our life. So like it or not, we live in a digital age. And this digital age is not going away. It's not going away. And it doesn't, we can't, we're not outside of it because it doesn't just affect the world. It's even affecting, it affects the church at large. And so that's why it's important to talk about. It may not personally affect your life a whole lot, but it does affect your life in the church and with people that you know. And there's no doubt in the world that the internet and smartphones and social media has revolutionized the way we live, the way we work, and the way that we socialize. And can you remember life before all of that? Can you remember life before social media? Remember, you go to work, and you come home, and you knew what you were going to cook and what you were going to serve and you were going to eat, and now you know what everybody's going to eat. <laughs> right? There's just this huge rapid rise in social media. And I want to just give you a small, there's so much statistics out there, but I just want to give you a small sense of the magnitude. Over 2.2 billion iPhones has been sold since its inception in 2007. And that's not including other smartphone brands. So if you're not an iPhone user and you like Android and you like Samsung and those things, that's not including those. That's just iPhone, 2.2 billion. There's 3.2 billion social media users in the world. That's 42% of the world's population is on social media. Facebook is the most widely used platform. So all my Facebook users, you are one of 68% of the United States adults that are on Facebook. That's two-thirds of United States adults. Worldwide, it's 2.3 billion Facebook users. That is, that is larger than any population of any one country. So if China is the largest populated country, that's more people online on Facebook than live in China, to put that in perspective. 90% of millennials, 77% of Generation X, and 48% of baby boomers are all active social media users. Active, not just they sign in once, never do it, they're active. The average time spent on social media is two hours and 22 minutes a day. And I want to say I'm really happy to see a lot of the kids from my uh, teen class in here today. I'm glad you're here. You need to hear this. Because I want to tell you that statistic, which is two, two hours and 22 minutes for the majority of people. For teens, it goes up to nine hours a day. Nine hours a day of screen time. Now, take in effect, they still have school, and they still have to sleep for nine hours a day, screen time. We check our phones average of 81,500 times a year. That's once every 4.5 minutes we check our phones. That means before I'm done speaking, you're going you're gonna to be tempted to look at your phone six to eight times. 93 million selfies are taken every day to get that one perfect shot. 
The first part's true, 93 million. It's about an average of 47 to get that one shot. And that more people die from taking selfies than by shark attacks. <laughs> true statistic. <laughs> this digital world, they have it, their own language created. We've created our own language. They call it SMS or texting language. In the beginning, some people didn't understand. They say, what is lol? Well, it's really LOL, laughing out loud, you know, things like that, a BTW, by the way, and it goes on and on. And then, you know, we've got these new introduced with these emojis. So then, you know, that can get confusing. Is it praying hands or is it high five? You know, it, it's a whole new language of its own, digitally created. This digital world's created its own law enforcement divisions called cyber crimes. Even the thing that we preached or that we prayed about earlier is included in cyber crimes. Phishing, identity theft, hacking, terrorism, cyberbullying, huge cyber crimes, all because of this digital age that we live in. It's also created some clinically real disorders. These are true, real disorders, okay? I'm going to just name three that I, that I just quickly knew. Was, um, this sounds crazy, but nomophobia. And that is the fear of being without your mobile device. If it's not there, people, they have a disorder now. It's new. There's one called FOMO or F-O-M-O. My kids now know that you know what that means. Fear of missing out. To where when you're scrolling and you see somebody that you're connected with somewhere and you're not there, it bothers you. It affects you. You have the fear of missing out. And then there's another one called social media anxiety disorder where it creates anxiety, nervousness, discomfort, and social settings where we're so addicted to being online that when we're in a real social setting, we don't even know how to act. That is a real thing. And it's all created by addiction. The more addicted we are to our phones, studies also show that we are more prone to depression and anxiety. So it's a real subject matter, very real. As far as stretch as that sounds, it's very real and it affects a lot of people. So this kind of digital world, it really has become ingrained in the fabric of our lives. And perhaps most people here, you may not struggle with it, but even if we don't personally struggle with it, and this lesson maybe does not speak directly to you, it will affect your kids, my kids, my grandkids, your grandkids. I don't have any, by the way. Um, and it's not just ones in the world. It could be your neighbors. It could be somebody that you come in contact with. And it's going to be kids in your church. I know you love my kids, and I appreciate that. Well, this affects them. So when we talk about it in church, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with this relatively new thing that we're kind of on the outskirts and we don't really know everything about? Well, I'm going to start with saying this. I'm not going to preach against social media. And I'm going to continue to say that social media is not a sin. So a lot of you can, she's not going there. But I will say that it is a distraction. And we are perhaps the greatest distracted generation of all times hands down. Last year, Raymond Woodward, he tweeted something funny, but it was really true, and I want to read it to you. He's referring to Ecclesiastes 3, and he said this, for every season there is a tweet, and a tweet for every purpose under heaven, a tweet for births, and a tweet for deaths, a tweet to hurt, and a tweet to heal, a tweet to weep, and a tweet to laugh, a tweet to tear, and a tweet to mend, a tweet to love, and a tweet to hate version King Solomon 2019. 
Because that's truly, if you think about that, how real that that really is in our world today. Life online is like a nonstop roller coaster. It's like whiplash over and over. You're weeping at one post, and then you're laughing at the next one. You scroll through this really profound thought, and then you're laughing at this humorous meme. And then you feel inspired one second. The next one's got you depressed. You're shocked, and then you're aggravated. It is an emotional roller coaster. And so Solomon said in, in the real Ecclesiastes 3, he said to everything there is a season, but life online moves way faster than a season. And I believe that sometimes it's hard for our souls and our hearts that we find it difficult to how do we actually feel this? How do we actually process this? Or how do we actually handle all this? And that's why it's important for our lesson today to unplug. We have to learn to unplug. We have to learn to use wisdom and moderation when we use social media. Satan, he's lurking everywhere, and we know that he's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We don't think about that too much when we're online, or with our time, really. But I believe that he is up on top of all the latest trends. I believe that he's the master, really, behind a lot of them. But after Satan tempted Jesus, and he tempted him all those times, and, and Jesus was, was, was good. But the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting... He left him until an opportune time. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he left him completely, that, yay, Jesus was out of the woods, that Satan was never coming back, never going to tempt him again. It never says that. It says he left him until an opportune time. Online, in our time online, that is an opportune time for Satan to tempt us. He doesn't necessarily have to tempt us to say something really bad, like, man, he just tempted me to rob that bank. That's not it. It could be something just as distractive. It could be busyness and things like that. Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote a fictional book called The Screwtape Letters. Some of you may be familiar with it. But in this completely fictional book, he addresses temptation from the viewpoint of the tempter. And the tempter is a senior demon. If you're not familiar with this book, I know that sounds terrible, but just stay with me. One of the strategies that he talks about, that this demon is trying to, to tell people how to tempt the Christian, okay? One of the strategies is called the nothing strategy. And it's because it's not the temptation to do bad things. He tells him, he said, look, it's not about, don't tempt them to go, you know, steal the car. It's, it's tempting them to do nothing at all. It's the, it's the strategy that eventually at the end of life, we just look back and say, what was that all about? I just have all these regrets that I didn't do anything. He writes this, The nothing strategy is very strong, strong enough to steal away a man's best years, not in sweet sins, but in the gratification of curiosities so feeble that the man is only half aware of them. He's speaking about routines of nothingness, unnecessary habits, endless scrolling. That's what he's talking about. It's like being a hamster on a wheel, but we're never satisfied. Our souls just leave empty. And the amazing thing is he wrote this in 1942, way before any of this digital age. But it's still kind of like this prophetic alarm for people of our days that we live in. Because we're always busy. We're always distracted. And we give our time to maybe not what's explicitly sinful, but to what is distracting and what is not going to just fulfill us. So there's four traps online that everybody should at least be aware of. And the first one is this, accessibility. 
accessibility. Accessibility can be a blessing or a curse because it's easy to find anything online. So what, if you know, hey, I'm really looking, I need to buy this. How much does this cost? That is so easy. That is so good to have that tool, even to be able to compare pricing and know where you want to buy from. But it can be a curse because you can find anything online. Okay, the second thing, anonymity. Because it's easy to hide your activity online, that's a trap. Yes, it's anonymous. People may not know, but that's a trap. You need to be very, very careful with that. Third one is connectivity. It's nice to be connected. I'm glad I can see you throughout the week. But one click connects to another click, connects to another click, connects to another click. And there's the danger and the trap in that. If you don't see that, there's a danger there. And the fourth one is curiosity. Because curiosity, I will tell you this, lust is lurking everywhere. And not even intentionally. It's lurking everywhere. Curiosity is there. There's four traps to be aware of. Our internet and social media use reveals what our heart really wants. Especially in those four, in those four traps. We can check our hearts by asking very important questions. And I'm going to have some important questions I'll, I'll say, and hopefully that throughout the weeks and times that we're on social media, we can ask ourselves these questions. One question being that we're talking about these traps would be, you know, would we be okay right now if we just pulled out our phone and we handed it to our neighbor? Would we be okay with them seeing what we search? Would we be okay with seeing what we text? It's kind of quiet, maybe not. <laughs> But wisdom would have us to check our hearts regularly, and we have to keep these biblical principles in mind. And this is, this is the one we live by, and we apply to everything, so I have to. It's so important that we talk about this thing. And that's Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus was asked in this passage, what was the great commandment? And verse 37 says, And he answered unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the basic guide and the principle, not just for our lives, but for our use on social media. So it sounds easy enough, right? Okay. So we ask ourselves some questions. Are our smartphones or our use on social media, do they interfere with loving God with all our hearts? Do that, does it interfere? Now, I'll give you a scenario. You know, people that work, have you ever went to work and you know you have something to accomplish, but you're constantly distracted? The phone's constantly ringing. People keep walking in and out. Um, something goes wrong. Fires you have to put out. That happens. It happens. And what ends up happening is it's difficult to get anything done when you're distracted. And it's the same thing when we're serving God. It's difficult to serve God with everything that we have when we're constantly distracted. Christian author and pastor Kim T Tim Keller was asked why he thinks young adults, why do they struggle with God being a personal reality in their lives? And he answered, it's noise and distraction. Noise and distraction. Because it's easier to tweet than to pray. The ease of social media is not a match for the labor of prayer. So much easier just to 
post what you want than to find a place to alter and cry out to God. And that, that, that strikes me. That, that really, really stirs me to think, you know, I want my kids to have a prayer life. I want my teens out here to have a prayer life. I need to, to do something about this. If God's not personally real in their life because of noise and distraction, we have to teach them to unplug. And if we're not unplugging, they're not going to unplug. You don't have to physically bow down to something for it to be an idol. An idol is anything that consistently takes precedence over God in our life. So one thing to consider is the time that we spend online and compare it to the time that we spend with God. So if you have an iPhone, there's a tool that you could use that they actually built this into your phone that's called Screen Time that you can find on your settings. If you're brave enough to look, it could be pretty revealing. And it'll tell you how much time that you've spent on social media. And then it also, they, that's how it started. And now they've actually added things like where you can set time limits and restrictions because we're that undisciplined with it. And so I, I do recommend doing it if you're brave enough and you're ready to pray and repent after. <laughs> at, least, at least me. I'm talking now seriously to me. I, I look at that screen time, and the thing I'm looking for is that arrow say down. It has decreased because I want it to decrease. I want it to decrease. So that leads to another important question. Is it the best use of our time? How are we using our time? Is, is scrolling really the best use of our time? And that question, we have to ask it frequently, especially if we don't have that screen time setting on our phones. But social media, honestly, it's fun. It's a great way to stay connected to friends and family. And a lot of you, like me, have family out of state and friends out of state. And it's so nice to be able to have something that we can connect to. It's a, it's a great thing. But sometimes we have to learn that it encroaches on our time for more needful things. So all of a sudden, before you know it, for my Pinterest people, oh, my goodness, you've got all these ideas. And you went from looking at the garden to now you're in the bathroom and now you're at someone else's business. I mean, it just, it just goes on and on. It encroaches a lot of times, and that's the type of time that maybe we needed with our family. Or maybe that really, oops, now I, I have 10 minutes less to pray or, or to study. John Piper said this, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. We all have the same amount of time, and we all are given the amount of time that we need to take care of God's business personally. And it's, we're not going to be able to use that. Well, why'd you spend so much time on Twitter instead of praying? We won't have that excuse on that last day. So we have to stay sensitive to the Spirit's leading as to how much time to spend scrolling. Another question we can ask ourselves is our habits, do they interfere with loving others? We talked about putting God first and loving God with all our heart. Well, do these habits, do they interfere with us loving each other? Charles Spurgeon said, the easiest work in the world is to find fault. To find fault. Posting condescending, judgmental, critical, insulting, unfounded accusations, it's unchristian. Point blank. It's unchristian. It's not right. Um... And I'm not talking about just posting. If that's your regular language, if that's your regular speech, these are the words coming out of your mouth, and they are condescending, and they are judgmental, and they are unkind and critical and insulting. It's not right. It's unchristian. It is unchristian. It destroys our love for one another. 
And I realize that sometimes we feel like, well, it's just the truth, and the truth hurts. Well, that's not speaking the truth in love. And that does apply face-to-face communication as well. Because when we're even when we're sharing the truth, share, the attitude that we share that truth in is just as important, how we communicate it. Our flesh can easily get carried away. And our carnal nature feels like our complaints need to be heard. So we'll write a post to that lady in aisle five. Like she's ever going to read it. you know. But we just have to air the complaint because it feels good to our flesh. Or you know what? We get our anger. We just have to express that anger. So then we, a.k.a. rant over. Or there are any contrary views, all of a sudden, well, we have to oppose this. Well, the flesh enjoys, I'm just going to let you know the flesh enjoys that kind of social media use. But walking by the flesh, that may be the social norm, and it is the social norm. But it's not possible to please God in the flesh. Romans 8 and 8 says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So I have to ask myself, is this really about me and my need to be right, my need to air out? my grievances or is the Lord being glorified in this am I really speaking truth and love those are really valid questions that we need to ask I like this Raymond Woodward Ward, he, he tweeted this again too I like it he says though I tweet with the thumbs of men and of angels and have not love I am become as an endless tweet storm or a shameless humble brag love suffers not multiple hashtags and is respectful. Love exaggerateth not, love vaunteth not at selfies, and doth not overshare or self-promote. It's good. It's a way to, to put the Bible into our world, whether it's our, our real life or whether it's our online life, the Bible relates. So we can't tear somebody down and then follow up with hashtag Jesus loves you. It happens. It happens. This week, I, I just, I was shocked. I had a Facebook friend that was, they were arguing, and they're, they're good friends, but they were kind of arguing back and forth, and I'm like, well, that's odd, and then the next day, she's the same person who, who started the post, was telling somebody about the oneness, and Acts 2.30, and I'm thinking, oh my, that's not okay, <laughs> you can't tear somebody down, it's not hashtag Jesus loves you, it, it's not, you know, our words have to point others to God. And I want you to think of it, that's the funny side, but on the serious nature, I want you to think of it like this. The people that you text and that you tweet and that you follow and the people that you post to, all your friends and your connectivity points online, they are going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. Think of it like that. Our words can push them in one of two directions. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue for those that don't have social media, for those of us that do and the power of our thumbs. We can push someone in one of two directions. Most of us didn't start using social media to be a witness, but what we have to understand with all of that is that what we do online, it does potentially reflect either positively or negatively on our witness. And not only on our witness, but on our families. It reflects on our church. If people know where you go to church and you're posting things that are somewhat questionable. It doesn't look good. Okay? So whether or not we use social media to be a witness, we are still called to be witnesses. 
Ephesians 4:29 says, "Let no corruption, no, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers." Now we can also say, "Let no corrupt talk come off my thumbs, but only what is good for the building up, so that my social media use will give grace to those who see it." I've seen, I have, now I've had things and I've had comments that I've just wanted to say. I've had to push the backspace button several times. And there's posts I've even deleted. I just didn't even want the option that this might offend somebody, this may hurt. So I would never want that. But because I realize that it's true, whether or not that's a true post or not, whether or not it's truthful, if it's not helpful, if it's not necessary, if it's not edifying, if it's not giving grace, it's only going to add to the noise. It's only going to add to the distraction. So instead, what I've learned, and I did have to learn it, is you have to unplug completely, sometimes shut the app off. And then what I do is whatever those emotions are that are raging, I have to take those things into prayer. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing that it does is it does good for my heart. I don't leave with any bitterness. I don't leave with any, any bad feelings at all. Because truly, our phones and social media, they really do give us good opportunities. Good opportunities to reach good people, to tell them that we love them, to tell them that we prayed for them. How many people, you've prayed for somebody in this very room this week because you heard on Facebook that there was a need. That is a great and wonderful thing. Another thing I need to hurry up is that, are we portraying ourselves in a real, genuine way? Another question, are we being real, are we being truthful and honest? Does this misrepresent me or is it authentic? Now, we all post our good things, and that's good. I love, I love that about social media, that we can celebrate together, that we can congratulate each other. I love to see your families and your pictures, your vacations, your accomplishments. I like to celebrate your life's milestones, and that's the wonderful part of social media. But there's also this temptation, that when we see all those good things, that it's like, oh, well, mine don't look that good. <laughs> and so sometimes maybe present a false image. And I'm not saying that it's always intentional. It's probably more than likely not, but it's kind of a trap because social media, they've created so many filters and it distorts reality is what it does. So we can compare our, our, our unfiltered life. So mine's going to look like a big load of laundry and yours may look like a medicine cabinet. Yours may look like a struggling relationship. And all of a sudden we're looking and we're scrolling through a world that's cropped and edited and looks so perfect and pretty. And what happens is we end up feeling frustrated and we're discontent. And I can tell you, you've seen plenty of pictures of my kids in clean clothes, but you've never seen a picture of my laundry room. Neither do you want to. But nothing has me feeling more frustrated than a beautifully clean and organized laundry room on Pinterest. That's the power of social media. Okay. How do they do it? I can't do it. It makes me know. I know I can't do that. So what happens sometimes is we kind of learn to live and navigate through two lives. And one is our online life and one is our real life. And online, the great thing about it is we can self-edit. So we can change our looks. You ever met somebody that they don't look anything like their profile picture? It happens. All right? We can, we can take that selfie from here and not see my third. Okay? I try, too. I'm not lying. So... We can't do that in real life. So what you see is what you get. <laughs> Online, we can self-echo. 
we can look like, we can associate with people that have the same interests as us. But in real life, we're going to rub shoulders with people that are different than us. Online, we can self-isolate. Guess what? Online, you don't have to deal with real people. You can block. Don't you? Like, I know there's people in here that probably like the block and unfollow buttons and, and things like that. But in real life and in church, it's real. We have to deal with real people, with real situations and real stories that matter. We may not all look the same and we may not have the same interest in music today. You may want to hear a fast song. I may want to hear a slow song, but that doesn't matter. We can put that aside when we're in the house of God and we can love each other because we're family. And we're not only going to come together and love each other but we're, because we're family, but we're going to come into unity with God. And the biggest danger in trying to live that online life, this is important, and when it differs from our real life is that the real sometimes ends up feeling the awkward. We don't feel awkward online. We feel awkward in real life. And the real ends up awkward. We prefer to live in that online life. That online life is a little bit of safety there. We know that that's a place where we can get people to agree. We know that that's a place where people will like us and that they value us. And so that we can become reluctant to leave the safety of our own online world, including church. As a matter of fact, you can go online and watch a church service of your liking without ever leaving your little safe online world. But that's not a substitute for church attendance. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Because in today's world, like it or not, online or not, we need real altars. We need real hands to be laid on us. We need real arms to embrace us, and we need real voices to preach to us. This addiction that's a, that, to approval, we need, well, we need likes, we need affirmation, we need, we need, we're so concerned about what others think, we need the social validation, I need more thumbs up. And, you know, it's one thing in my generation, but what I've noticed in the younger generation is that, like, that is their goal. Like, it's, it is seriously like, they're, well, I'm trying to get 200 likes. I need you to share my name so that more people can like me, more people can follow me. And it's scary, and I have to try to understand that because, Seriously, this matters to me. I've got four. It matters to me. I don't want them to have and put their self-worth in the hands of somebody that does not matter to their life. But when we do that, we're tempted to make ourselves sometimes appear for what we're like. Like I said, it takes 47 selfies to get one that we think might get the approval of somebody else. So sometimes we're tempted to appear like something else. And I'll tell you, it's not a new concept. If you go to John 12 and 43, Jesus said of the Pharisees, the religious people of that day, he said this, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. It's nothing new. If you seek the approval of God, which I hope we all do, I'm going to tell you right now, the online world is not going to approve you. But let me tell you this, I'll continue to say that their approval, that their disapproval is not going to hurt you. Just because someone didn't like that, it's not going to hurt you. And their approval will not satisfy you. It may satisfy you for a second until you had to post something else to try to get their like again and got, try to get their attention again. John chapter 4 tells a very familiar story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And when we study her life, we understand that she was thirsty for something. And she needed something. And she looked elsewhere, we know, to satisfy that thirst and that longing sometimes we're that lady. We're thirsty for something, whether it's approval or affirmation or validation, whatever it may be. 
Did they like my post? Did they comment on my picture? Did they friend me back? And I'm telling you, if we put that type of validation, that power into someone else's hands, we're going to have to keep going back every time it wears off. Because just like the woman at the well, if you drink of that, you're going to stay thirsty. It's only going to fill you for a split second. And maybe yours isn't social media, but I will tell you that everybody drinks from somewhere. Everybody's going to drink from somewhere. Maybe it's through your kids. Maybe it's through your job. Maybe it's through money. Whatever it may be, somebody is going to drink through somewhere. And it's not a sin to be thirsty. That wasn't the sin. The sin wasn't that she was thirsty. But it is where you go that's going to, be de- that's going to determine whether you're satisfied. She wasn't satisfied because she kept going to the wrong place to satisfy her thirst. And Jesus didn't tell her that she wouldn't feel thirsty. And it's the same way with us. He never said that we're not going to feel scared or that we're not going to feel discouraged. But because that's what the living water was all about. She, because she was thirsty, he had the supply. That's what it was all about. But what he was saying is you'll always have somewhere to drink from. His well's never going to go dry. He didn't say that you would never have a need, but what he did say that he was going to meet all your needs. If we never had a need, then we wouldn't have a need to drink. So I want to tell you, I remember the night that I was filled with the Holy Ghost, he satisfied a longing in my soul, but I still need to go back and I still need to be refilled and he gives free refills. You can't beat that. The thing I love about her story is that she went on and she shared the testimony with other people in Samaria and the Bible says that many believed because of her testimony, because she shared that and that's that's a beauty in that even with social media that Jesus saves, Jesus validates, Jesus fills, and every Christian can share that truth to an immediate audience. Luke chapter 10 tells the story of Mary and Martha, and we've talked about this. Um, but Martha, we know, was worried and troubled. But what it doesn't say, and we, and we kind of focus on that. Mary, you know, Mary was a worshiper, Martha was worried and troubled. It never says that Mary wasn't worried. It never says that she wasn't troubled. It doesn't even say that, well, Martha, that old Martha, she was just born a worry wart, and that Mary, she was just born a worshiper. It never says that. I actually don't think Mary was born that way, because when Jesus talked to her and was talking to Martha in Luke 10 and 42, he actually said Mary chose. He used that. He, she had chosen to take the good part, the better part. And we have that same ability to choose. We have the ability to choose the better part, the ability to check our hearts, the ability to weigh our words. And so the real question is, do we have the motivation to, to make that choice? Do we have the discipline to say no? Do we have the discipline to unplug? And so the keys to unplugging courtesy of Mary is this, that what we learn from her story, is to be devoted to one thing and not distracted by many. Two, prioritize filling your soul above filling your schedule. And three, prioritize what's eternal over what's entertaining. Your prayer life is going to get you a whole lot farther than your social media account. Nothing can be a priority over our relationship with God. And I'm going to finish up. The online and mobile world is growing, and and as it's growing, new opportunities to share the gospel are growing as well. Preachers and and churches are reaching hundreds of thousands of people. There are missionaries that are able to use social media to teach and preach and connect with people in areas that it may be more difficult or it may be dangerous to go or to live. So let me tell you, the huge thing is this. Social media is being used to take the whole gospel 
to the whole world. And that is an amazing tool. But there's a unique challenge. A Christian ethicist, Oliver O'Donovan, said this. This generation, so we're living right now, this generation has the unique task assigned to it of discerning what the new media is really good for. And that means also what it's not good for. If they fluff it, in other words, if we get this wrong, generations after will pay the price. We have the ability to share the gospel with the world. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. That's all I have if you want to stand. I actually had a little bit more, but um, <laughs> I love you all. And if we'll pray, we can pray real quick. Jesus, check our hearts, and we'll just dis dismiss until the next service. Lord, I love you. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.